0: Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. let draw your attention this morning, draw your attention this morning, if you will, Revelation chapter 4, and uh, draw your eyes down in that particular chapter to verse number 4. This will be the first of two series here from chapter 4 on individuals or entities around the throne of God. Notice, if you will, verse 4 And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon these seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. The scripture goes on in verse number 10. Let's take some time this morning as we look down through these passages and consider these 24, though the scripture reverses the entities 4 and 20, the 24 elders. Follow your notes, if you will. As the Apostle John views the throne of God, he describes two specific things, two specific entities. He speaks of a rainbow... And that's particularly found in those passages in verse number 3. And 24 seats. Now each of these seats were occupied by 24 elders. These 24 elders are referenced throughout the book of the Revelations. The primary passages where you'll find their reference are here in chapter 4. And in chapter 5, you'll find them again in chapter 5 and verse 5 and 6, 8, 11, and verse 14. However, these 24 elders are also found in chapter 7, chapter 11, chapter 14, and chapter 19 and verse 4. Now as we gauge through this this morning, I think it's important for me to give you five specific groups that these elders could represent What I want to do this morning is I'm going to give you these groups and then I want to take some time and give you maybe nine things. You'll see it there in your notes and asterisk, but nine um, things to notice about these elders. And we'll draw from those things that we notice in the scriptures, uh, biblical evidence, if you will, on who these 24 elders are. But there, if you're going to open a commentary, you're going to read through a commentary on Revelation chapter 4. Uh, these five things I'm going to give, these five groups, are usually uh, the five that are most often pointed at. In my library, I've got a number of books, commentaries on the Revelation, and um, that's where I get these. All five of them are mentioned. And so I guess you've got multiple choice there, A, B, C, D, or E. Which one do you believe? But notice, if you will, the first of them that's often mentioned is regarding these 24 elders. <clears throat> They're often commented as being the Old Testament saints only. Old Testament saints only um, you might would think of that as just just being the greater portion of the twelve tribes of Israel, and so when we say well how do they how do they come about with that well they they look in Hosea chapter three, where there's uh the the point of David being a prince and a king, in Hosea chapter three and verse five, they also move to Corinthians or rather. Chronicles. I think it's First Chronicles chapter 24 where Solomon is describing and well, even David before him they're describing uh, the uh, priestly high office and they redivided the courses and so they had 24 courses. Now it's not courses like a mill. It's not even courses like you might would take in high school but it's basically 26 or rather 24 different descriptive jobs in vain and they're uh, were 12 from one uh, priestly lineage and eight from the other one. I had together to get 24. Uh, there were 24 different priestly courses. There's also in that same passage, 24 porters. And so since we got to number 24 and First Corinthians, I said it again, didn't I? Chronicles chapter 24 mentions 24. And there's a lot of 24s, isn't there? Then obviously it's the Old Testament. Uh, letter B, another one that is given uh, is saints. It's just all saints of all times so it's from Adam clean out through um, the last saint that will uh, be part of the family of God as it were and they look at these and say that these 24 representation of all believers of all ages and again someone might say well how do they get that well again a lot of it's done with numerology and there was 12 tribes of Israel and there were 12 apostles and 12 plus 12 is there you go it works doesn't it then uh, some refer to them as tribulational saints. Tribulational saints. And certainly in Revelations, as you're reading about tribulational saints, I believe it's chapter 7. I believe it's in chapter 7. It talks about some of these tribulational saints whose voices are under the martyrs, uh, the martyrs' voices under the throne, etc. Uh, later it talks about some of these tribulational saints being given white raiment. And so there's uh, some text for that. Some, some describe them as angels, that these four living creatures that we'll mention next week and these 24 elders are really angelic beings. <coughs> They're angels, not unlike uh, um, not unlike Michael, the archangel, uh, Gabriel, the messenger. <coughs> They're angels. And of course, we don't have 24 names of elders, uh, we don't have 24 names of angels throughout all of scriptures. Uh, one thing that we would note uh, is that the scripture would have multitudes of angels. Luke chapter 2, uh, the nativity uh, there where they're announcing the birth of the Lord. Uh, there's an angel that appears in the shepherd by night. And at the conclusion of that, the scripture mentioned in Luke chapter 2, that suddenly, do you remember what he says? That was with that angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God on the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Later in the gospel account, the Lord talks about being able to summon 10,000s of angels to his nature. So, so really when it comes to angels, there's a massive host of individuals there. Some folks look at these 24 uh, elders and say, well, they're just angelic beings. And then letter E, letter E, they're representative of New Testament saints, and that's New Testament exclusive, New Testament exclusive saints. These are not Old Testament, they're New Testament. And so with those things in mind, now what we're going to do is try to winnow this process down. I'll give you nine uh, facts, if you will, to notice about these 24 elders, and then at the end of it, I'll give you some more thoughts, but we'll come to something I think you'll find overwhelming evidence of which it is. A few things to recognize about these, in verse number four of this chapter, you'll find you'll find that these individuals are referred to as elders. They are referred to as elders. Um, The word elder is used a number of times in scriptures. In fact, uh, if my count is right, I think you'll find the word elder used 152 times or so in the Old Testament. When it's used in the Old Testament, the term elder is used in a sense of the head of a family or tribe. Uh, in fact, uh, later on, the root of what would in Jewish history be referred to as a Sanhedrin uh, was sometimes referred to as the Seventy, the Seventy, uh, sometimes referred to as the Seventy elders. Uh, they were princes, as it were, within the families. You remember when Moses went to send in the, the uh, spies into Canaan. He didn't just choose out anyone. Who did he choose out? He chose out the heads, the families, uh, these these princes of the people, not deemed because they had a royal decree. There was really only one kingly line, and that was given in prophecy. It was all the way back in Genesis 48, and that would have been Judah. But of all of these tribes, as it is kin to It's not foreign to us. They had individuals uh, that were very influential, men, male individuals, very influential, in which they had a lot of gravitas in what they said and who they were. And sometimes there were other associating facts, and they were considered elders in the Jewish custom, and they were heads of tribes or heads of families. You find the word elder used six times, six times in the New Testament. Um, and in fact, you'll find it another 12 times in the book of Revelation all by itself. Now, we'll stretch your mind a little bit. Do you remember the word, the word for elder in the New Testament six times? It's presbyteros, presbyteros. Uh, that's from whence, that Greek word is from whence we get the idea of the presbytery. Over in First um, Peter chapter 4, Paul's telling, That's a say 1 Peter? 1 Timothy chapter 4 uh, Paul is instructing Timothy in this, and he talks about the laying on of the hands of the Presbytery. Well, he's not talking about a church. He's rather talking about a significant gathering of individuals, men, pastors, to commission one or recommend for the commissioning one to the gospel ministry. As well, Ordination. Uh, of a pastor of a preacher if you will is so important and in Paul's custom he would call together these other pastors and they would to some degree vet and endorse the ministry of this new preacher and so when you come to the word elder it's presbyteros Uh, you'll also find one episkopos and that refers to bishop Uh, that is the uh technical term for the office in the scriptures there's really not an office of a pastor there's not an office of a pastor Uh, we call it that and we understand what we mean and i'm just talking in very technical terms but if you read throughout the scriptures you'll only find the word pastor mentioned one time in all of the new testament anybody know the passage it's ephesians 4 Ephesians 4, and it talks about uh, the growth of the believer uh, that God had installed upon them, that it was the uh, prophets, the apostles, the evangelists, and the pastor-teacher. So in time, pastors meant, and it is coined, if you will, together. Uh, You'll find the Greek word for pastor mentioned on a couple of different occasions in Acts chapter 20 and also in 1 Peter chapter 5. But the idea of the pastor is a nurturing feeder. That's what it means. He pastors, he shepherds, he feeds. That's why the pastor and teacher are combined there in Ephesians chapter number 4. But the word elder is never referred to anywhere in scripture in reference to an angel always in reference to an individual and so these individuals here are referred to as elders I should I should uh, mention this as well uh, they are these these elders they are first in preeminence of all the people that will make up all and, and people I'm speaking very broadly here but of all the entities people's persons beings that you find throughout the book of Revelation beast wild beasts in chapter 13, angels. I mean, there's a host of things. Outside of the throne where is seated the beloved Christ, the first group of people that John encounters are these 24 elders. It will be later until he encounters the angelic beings. They are preeminent. I would submit to you they are preeminent, these elders, because they would have to have had a biblical reason to be so. I think of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and in talking about the human creation, God created male and female in his image. When he saw that it created these things, what did he say of them? It's good. That's a marvelous thing. Do you know that angels were not created in the same fashion that humanity was? You'll not find the passage in scriptures where God created angels in his very image. You may love your puppy. I had a dear neighbor walking by the other day. She's a really nice lady and she has a little Jack Russell terrier and the kids pet it. And and she'll refer to that puppy as her baby. Now I smile because I think I know what she means. But in reality, that puppy, dog, it's 11 years old is not of the same value and preeminence as any child. Now, it's important to her, and for that matter, it's important to me. But in the great scheme of eternity, no animal rivals that of human life. When an animal dies, it dissolves into the dust from which it came. But you and I, to be absent from the body are to be your little puppy doesn't die and go to heaven. Your little bird does not fly away and live in the everlasting life that is soon to come, that is off to the dust from which you and I uh, were created. But humanity is different. And so I would note that there's something to the preeminence of these elders. They are first in their importance. And uh, they are, if you will, uh, created with a specific calls and a specific way in which God would use them. Notice the second thing that you'll find in that same verse, in verse number 4. He describes these 24 elders, but I want you to note that he talks about the seats and the thrones. I would submit to you that these elders are enthroned. They are enthroned. They have a place upon which they rest. They're seated in seats around the throne. The scriptures mentions so many times about thrones that are given, but as I was studying through scriptures, I found something unique, something quite interesting to my heart, and that is this. There's no seating for angels. In fact, I cannot recollect anywhere in the 66 books of all of the scriptures one time that an angel actually sits. I find them flying. I do find them flying. I find them present but not quite so much as sitting. It just doesn't seem to be a present thing. And I think that's because God has made them ministers. They have a unique place, a unique importance. They're created, but there's no throne that was ever promised that angels as a created angel would ever sit upon. Now, I do find over in Ezekiel and Isaiah that there was an angel that desired a throne. Lucifer, you know. And he's kicked out of the presence of heaven. And he would war. And all the way in Revelation chapter 13, you'll find an angel. Same, the Lucifer, the Satan, devil, the old serpent, the dragon. He's known by many different names. Who will try once again to gather and a host of allies for to take the throne. But you'll not find anywhere in scriptures that angels are ever enthroned. But you will find individuals in scriptures that are promised a throne. Let me give you a few of those. For instance, look over in Revelation. Look over, you're in chapter 4. Um, I want you to look in chapter 3. And uh, maybe about two places here. Look well, Revelation chapter number 3. And note verse 21. This is the message that the Lord had given to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, one that we often talk about being lukewarm. That's what the scripture says. Is verse 21, to him that overcometh. That's a common theme pledged about every one of those churches. I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame, even as I also overcame and been set down with my father in his throne. We could think of 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul referencing to Timothy by inspiration. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, if one's going to be a king, it seems to reckon that he has a throne. We know kings by their position, their majesty, their throne. So here are a few individuals that throughout scriptures are related as one that reigns, one that has a specific throne in mention. There's no throne anywhere in scripture given. Uh, for the angelic beings to have a throne. Well, what about the Old Testament believers? What about the Old Testament believers? Well, I would note with the Old Testament believers, um, one of them is promised a throne. I mentioned Hosea chapter 3 earlier. Uh, We could think of Isaiah chapter 55 as well, but those passages, Ezekiel chapter 37, I think we'll look at later on. uh, In verse number 12, all of those mention the same individual having a throne and sitting on a throne. But there is not a promise of a unilateral throne given to all of the Old Testament believers. David is promised a throne. He's called a prince with God. And Hosea is referred to as a king. It's an interesting thing. It's not just tit- uh, titular. It's not just in reference to the fact of a position he held. One day, David, when he is resurrected, will sit On a literal throne and rule in a better fashion than he did way back in Jerusalem in the Old Testament. But to the Old Testament saints, you'll be hard pressed to find any of those being referred to as given a throne. But these individuals are enthroned. Uh, They have seats in which they may sit around the throne. Notice, if you will, in verse number four, uh, the same chapter, chapter four and verse four, and then down in verse number 10. Uh, I make a lot about this, but I think it's interesting. They are numbered. They are numbered. Notice there are 24 of them. You find it in verse 4. You find it again in verse 10. You find it elsewhere in scriptures, but they are numbered. Now, with the angels, we're never told of any numeric quantity of angels. We're told in the Old Testament that there was a numbering system in place by Moses, a census. Um, this census, in which uh, a census in which they were counted, the men of war, and how many hundreds of thousands they were, broken down by a tribe. You come to the end of, of um, I think it's into uh, two Samuel. You'll find out that Dayab, D- David, against Joab's steadfast advice, numbered the children of God. And it was a great curse place. It took Joab, I think it was nine months to number all the people, and he eventually gave up did not do Benjamin at all. Who are these individuals that are numbered? And I would note just a few things about this, that in the New Testament, there's a tremendous amount of numbering that occurs in comparison to the size of the text versus the Old Testament. Uh, I think, for instance, uh, Matthew chapter 6, in speaking to the believers, talks about the very hairs of your head being numbered. I mean, that's an amazing consideration that God knows how many strands of hair are upon your head. I think of Acts chapter 3, the church there at Jerusalem. One of the first things you find about this church is they had a numbering system in place. Uh, they had some order there. It talks about a number of people that were added to the church. And what's very interesting here in Acts, you have a group here that is numbered. Note verse number or 4, yes, number 4. And let me give you a fourth thing. I want you to know how they are clothed, how they are clothed. The scripture will record in verse number four that they are clothed in white raiment. They are clothed in white raiment. Look over, I think it's Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two. No, I don't think that's where I want to go. Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter 3, note verse 5. This is to the church of Sardis. You'll note this phrase again. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Much like you find here regarding these 24 elders that are referred to clothed in white raiment. In fact, if you were to look at the one of the last chapters in all the book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8, you'll find that there comes a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, Seated upon a white horse, clothed in white, and gathered behind him a host of saints. And these saints clothed in white raiment as well. Uh, These individuals are clothed in white raiment. And there seems to be something of a promise, something indicative of nature that these individuals, that this white raiment is important in the aspect of how they are considered. They are pure. They are washed. I think of Ephesians chapter 5. And that's where we have the passage we'll be speaking on this morning. But he talks about uh, the Lord's love for his church. He says, uh, until it is pure, without spot and wrinkle. It's a level of purity there. John, in 1 John chapter 4, talks about the purity of the believer. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. That white raiment signifies a level of purity that exists. And these 24 elders are clothed in white raiment. Notice also in verse number four of chapter four, a fifth thing, a fifth thing. And that is that they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now I would submit to you that these crowns of gold are indicative with the fact that they have thrones, that there is the element of their royalty and majesty that is present. They have heads that are crowned with gold. In the Old Testament, you could find a crown of gold as it pertained to all of the heads of the nation of Israel. Equally, you could probably find crowns of gold to those that were heads of state of other countries in which Israel, rather you want to refer to the southern or northern kingdom, had associated themselves with. Like Tiglath-Pileser and Sennacherib, they all had crowns as well. But as it comes to the New Testament, you'll find out there's a number of passages throughout the New Testament that reference crowns. For instance, look in Revelation chapter 2. in Revelation chapter 2. Well, Smyrna, the persecuted church in one sense, he says, fear none of these things, I'm in verse 10. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. What does he say? I'll give thee a crown of life. Can you think of any other passages in the scriptures that reference giving of someone a crown? I think of the judgment seat of Christ, our works being burnt up as by fire, yet the soul being saved. I think of 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's one of my favorite ones here. Paul's nearing the end of his ministry and he said, I have followed a good fight. I have have finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness and he invokes the name of the faithful God. This crown of righteousness was not for him only but all those that love his appearing. We could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. Paul, through inspiration, references an incorruptible crown. Here's these individuals in which they are crowned. There's no angel anywhere in scriptures that it's ever referenced as having a crown. You do not find the plurality of passages talking about Old Testament saints that have a crown. David has a crown. Christ has a crown. And these 24 elders all have crowns. In fact, you'll note their mention of their crowns again in verse number 10. I think it's important that you understand what they do with their crowns. In verse number 10, it says, they cast their crown, their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, axamas. Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Speaking of verse number 10, not only they crown, but they're worshiping God. It's interesting that they fall down and then their worship their songs that they seemingly sing. All the way over, I think it's in chapter 5. I, I, I'm now on number 6. They are worshiping. Look at chapter 5. Listen to this. Um, he's talking about opening the book and in verse number 8, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou hast, thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations. And I shouldn't have read that verse because that gave away the whole lesson, didn't it? The worshiping. It's interesting there are very, 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 very few references to angels singing. In Luke 2, they're saying. Multitude of praising God and saying. Very few references. In fact, you go back to, again, our passages, Isaiah 14 Ezekiel chapter 28. These individuals, Satan, Lucifer, being one that was given to such cunningness with music, after the fall, there's very few references of angels actually singing. Yet so often, we often talk about the angels singing. We want to describe somebody's voice and say, oh, sister, so-and-so sang like an angel last week. This is an interesting note. I'm just telling you, as you search the scriptures, you won't find that to be the case. Uh, And part of that is there's no redemption for Angels. Angels don't get saved. Angels are either obedient or rebellious. It's a fixed state. There's no free will choice involved whatsoever like there is with humanity. And the greatest type of love that one could ever give anyone else is a free will love. And all the love that God can get from his people because they, the redeemed host of God... Revelation chapter 5, redeemed out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, they sing his praises. Peter, seizing on this moment, says, of which things the redemption of these people, the angels would look into. They have no opportunity. Why would a thrice holy God that sits on his throne love you and I? The angels have no consideration of understanding for those things. But you and I can express the joy of our salvation, and the singing unto him. Well, they're worshiping. They're worshiping. Number seven, they're giving. They're giving. Uh, They're casting their crowns before the throne. In verse number uh, 10 that we saw, um, you look over here in chapter five. uh, It's quite interesting. He talks about... In verse 11, he says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And listen to this. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That almost talks, that almost seems like a fella got tired of counting. That's an innumerable host of individuals. And here it would seem that these 24 elders are leading the worship. They are, as Revelation chapter 1 said, kings and priests. That should not be new to the reader and student of Scripture. From First Peter chapter 2, the Lord speaking of that fitful stone, he says in you that we're not a people. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, singing forth the praises of the Lamb. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. They are giving people, giving them their worship, giving them their homage, giving them their glory to the one upon the throne. Number eight, chapter five and verse five is interesting here. One of these elders sees John. And so that's why you know that this isn't just a vision. They see him. And the elder goes to him, one of these 24, and tells him, look in chapter five and verse five weep not behold the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals this is one of first one of two times in the book of revelation that you'll hear of one of these elders doing something i would submit to you that these individuals have a level of compassion they tell john to weep not thinking of compassion i think of 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 those saints that are weeping at the loss of someone that is passed on. Verse 18, comfort one another with these words. And number nine, you find in verse number eight of chapter five, they have vials full of odor. They have uh, harps, every one of them. Prayers of saints, it is mentioned. They're equipped. They're equipped. They have what they need to praise, and to worship God. Time will not allow us, but I think of Romans chapter 6, every one of you being a gift, and the command to use those gifts to the worship of a thrice holy God. Well, look at the last part of your notes there. These 24 elders seem biblically to be representatives of raptured, subsequently glorified saints the present round about the throne of God, and they're there before and during the great years of tribulation. Truly the promises of God standeth sure. Well, we look back on our notes here and we say, well, those are very specific, not tribulational saints, not all the saints, not Old Testament saints, and certainly not angels. Why? Let me just briefly run those down and isolate them. I think one reason that it's not the Old Testament saints, I'm going to give you actually four, but there's a couple of reasons why it's not Old Testament saints. Number one, their resurrection has not yet occurred. Um, Daniel chapter 12 talks about it being at the very end. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 12 talks about them awaking from their sleep in the land of Israel. This is post-rapture. This passage here in Revelation chapter 4 is... Premillennial, not postmillennial, or I should say post tribulation. This passage here, uh, Revelation chapter 4, deals on the onset of what will be the seven years. The Old Testament saints are not raised till the end of the seven years. I think also that when you think of these things, uh, the inheritance for the Old Testament, particular Jewish people, is the land. Paul's clear about that in Romans chapter 9 through 11, the promises that God had made to them. In Genesis chapter 12, Ezekiel chapter number 37. I think another thing that leads to this is just surely the chronology of Scripture. This group is first. When we would ask, well, why wouldn't it be the tribulational saints? It would be the tribulational saints because we're pre-tribulation. That's where this sits out. The first vial has not yet been opened. Uh, The first seal has not yet been cracked. We won't even hear about the 144,000 saints till some way down further on in the passages of Scripture, particularly Revelation chapter 7. So I think when you look at all of this in mind, when you think of the 24 elders, they are representatives of believers that have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in this, the day of grace. Now, we could have a whole other discussion, couldn't we? Who are they? I don't know. I I, I don't know. I can just tell you the 24 elders. They seemingly act in one sense like pastors, to be honest with you. The comfort they bring, the knowledge that they have according to the Word of God, how they convey that knowledge and what they do, they seem in that regard to hold very close with New Testament elders that you'll find throughout the text of Scripture. But as to far who these individuals are, I know not. I would not even begin to say. I'd like to think that it certainly would be the 12 apostles, who, by the way, were elders. Peter refers to himself as I am an elder. Paul was an elder. But I don't know who individually each of them are. But as a representative body, they represent, if I can be direct, you and I. One day, one day, either by way of the grave or by way of the rapture, I'm going to be in and around the very throne of the Almighty God. I will rule and reign with him on high. I will look down from the presence of God's throne room upon what will one day, I think of the psalmist, be his footstool, and I'll see his wonderful, marvelous, sovereign grace be given. I'll see his awesome, terror judgment be poured out. Then at the conclusion of that time, I'll mount up on a horse and I'll follow him into a campaign of worldwide victory. Now, I won't fight that battle. Joshua might have fit the battle of Jericho, but that won't be my battle to fight. I'll go as a spectator and a cheerleader. And once he has brought peace unilaterally to all the world and set up an earthly kingdom, and established it, he'll plug me in to the place of my future labor for him. These 24 elders, representative of believers in this age of age. Father, thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541 Harrisburg, Pennsylvania 17112 and visit our website at www.svbcpa.org until next time